0: All right. hello jamal what's up here not bad how are you what's up uh, isn't i mean that's not the right answer to what's up what did i say uh, you said not bad what's up is like you know really yeah what's up not bad what's up like what's happening that's, you can't say <laughs> um i'm good when someone says what's happening what do you mean, what Let's am i start meant to over. say <laughs> <laughs> what am i meant to say supposed to say mango bars not is much tank. not much that's my okay answer. if you want to be like you know vague about it yeah mm-hmm. um before we sat Sorry, down... Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not a control freak. I just, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, want to yeah. put it out there. You're not, not bad. I'm not not good bad? Oh, no. Anyway, um, hmm. before we uh, sat down to have this conversation, you told me a nugget of information that I want to start with. Okay. Which is, because I was like, oh, Jamal, I'd love to have you on the podcast because you uh-huh. have, and this is where I'm going to introduce you. Okay. You have a list of, uh, what do you call them? Accomplishments. You are a musician, solo musician, mm-hmm. and a producer. Mm-hmm. You are also part of the band Tonight Us. Uh, uh, now defunct, but yes. But Okay, yeah. Huh. Uh, you are also um, run and are the founder of Chubu Records. That's correct. And you run the studio that is Chubu as a, like a gig space as well. That's right. And now you are also getting into some filmmaking stuff. That is correct. And the news is that you have done a soft retirement from music. Is it a soft one? Yeah, I suppose that you could call it that, yeah. I mean, you said on the phone to me, you were like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to do my own projects whenever I feel like it. So I kind of felt like that was a, it's not a complete break. It's not a complete break from music, yes, but it is a complete break from the commercial side of running a studio. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? No, explain it. For example, um, the the majority of work I was doing was uh, work for hire. And that was how the studio was making its money and kind of staying afloat and then using that money to um, fund its own projects, so to speak. Um, that is all over. Um, the sort of the 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 idea of like running a studio or, or running a, a, a center or an institution, dare I say, <laughs> um, as a sort of central hub for music, that I think portion is over. But, you know, I... I've been playing music since I was 13, and I don't think that is something that I can let go of. Uh, it's such an integral part of my life that, you know, uh, it's something that I do unconsciously. Whether I'm producing or whether I'm playing or whatever, it's it's always going to be a part of my life. So, um, I'm being very selective with the projects that I'm doing, for example, um, I'm still working with. Uh, a very small number of bands uh actually i'm working with one <laughs> 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 i'm working with one i'm working with towers right now on two of their singles one is almost done second one we're going to do first week of september and um other than that like everything that i'm doing musically is going to be something that i derive personal joy from and gives me some kind of creative satisfaction uh, unlike doing work for hire which is like just pay me i'll do whatever you want <laughs> right, right um so yeah so that's kind of where the music scene is and what I, causes what why i think it was a long time coming um i've been sort of asleep at the wheel for a while um i think after true tv i kind of really exhausted myself uh it was it was uh 18 months of just having zen zen pirzada and i just having our you know heads to the grinder and just like the first six months we produce four videos a month which is insane if mm-hmm. i think about it, it retrospectively um and then we switched to two uh, a month uh, for the rest of the year so for 18 year 18 months 18 years <laughs> um, and that was exhausting because I think we, I especially had expectations that I could take it places, but I think I, after having run it for that time, I realized that music is always on unf- Okay, I don't want to say this. This is going to sound so discouraging for everyone. You know, uh-huh. I don't want to say it that way. But it for me, for me, it just felt like I'd hit a brick wall essentially, and mm. I wasn't really feeling like creatively I had more space to uh, grow in within the, the sort of. Um, space that true brew kind of made for itself so as far as personal growth is concerned i'm on a separate journey where that where that is but as far as true brew is concerned that's for the most part on on my back burner but true brew as a gig space is still i don't know no, dude, I don't, don't say know. that. Well, I'll be really honest, uh, post-COVID, how uh, our sort of event space is supposed to function. Pakistan how our is public COVID space free is COVID-free now. Yeah, Have you whatever. heard the news? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, j- I got a phone call from a friend today saying, what the hell, why aren't you doing gigs? It's like, you know, just because you, he just came back from a trip right. uh, to the mountains. So just like because you escaped for a while. yeah. And now you think everything easy, ho gaya, but no, you are. Just because we've become numb to it doesn't mean that it's over. Someone literally said to me the other day, like, Shukra, COVID, gaya." Like, are you sure? <laughs> uh, I got it in an email. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, um, th- the event space was, was never run as a, um, a, a money making enterprise. It was always a side thing that I wanted to do for music in order to sort of uh, help independent music grow. And mm-hmm. I think it really uh, was sort of a, a, a launching platform for that. But it was essentially being supported by the... Commercial side. The commercial side. And if that's gone, then I can't justify paying rent, bills, and all of that for that space. So, yeah. I mean, for people who don't know, Chuburu, as a gig space, has been like a pretty main part of the indie circuit for people. Anyone who... All of these indie bands kind of... I I remember the first time I went, I was like, the sound is great. And it's a cool little cozy, nice, small little space. Thank you. And... uh, I love when you got that neon teacup in the background. I gave it a nice extra vibe. Yeah. Um, so that's really sad news. If that, I mean, please don't do that. <laughs> I mean, look, if somebody wants to throw me a bucket load of money to yeah. like run it, I'm happy to do so. I have a team in place, but they need to be paid. Um, where am I going to get that money from? I can't yeah. keep like, you know, <laughs> I need to sew this hole in my wallet. Sure. <laughs> um, so for that reason, I think it's it becomes impractical. Mm. So if you guys really love it, yeah <laughs> just the just <a> look <laughs> just the look is enough yeah um okay so what's yeah. next for you then i mean if you're doing a soft retirement from music i'm gonna keep calling it a soft, soft retirement. i like <laughs> that i like the sound of that yeah, yeah it doesn't make it sound as harsh it also makes it sound like maybe one day i might come back to it's it, like you know. daniel day lewis after every film he's like i'm, I'm, I'm done, done. I'm also done. like daniel craig after every bond film yeah <laughs> yeah he'll be um, 65 and he will still be doing them so I, I mean, round about, I think at the end of 2018, I started reassessing my life. I was having like flashbacks, what am I doing? Yeah. Um, and I realized that um, I, I guess the things that, that bring me joy um, no longer did at that point. So I kind of had to look at the other things that I enjoy doing because I am at heart a creator. Mm-hmm. Um, my background is art school. And then music, and you know uh, I've done theater as a kid, so you know there's this sort of this whole gamut of performance art, I suppose, in a way, and uh the one thing that I never really had the confidence to explore was film. I think even when you and I spoke initially, there was always this idea of like creating some kind of narrative series around music, et cetera. Uh, a Mm -hmm. docu-series so you know my fascination with uh, storytelling has always been there in one form or the other other, and I've always been obsessed with films Uh, but never just never had the opportunity or the confidence to explore it and so December 2018 I thought well you know I should be doing something about this it took me like a good three four months to like figure out what my options were and um I applied for a course at the New York Film Academy. Um, it was a crash course in filmmaking. Mm-hmm. So they compressed like six months worth of um, coursework and, and practicals and things like that within eight weeks. And um, you end up working on a film every week. So that's like... Oh, nice. Yeah. But you work, about, you work on more than eight films because you work on other people's films as well. But you do like y- your own projects that are eight. So you're working on, on roughly like 15, 16 films within wow. that time. So they really kind of there's no time to sleep, and you yeah. know, you're when you're not um, you, when you're not at the school getting uh, tutored, you're writing your next uh, film, and then the weekend comes, and you're editing that film, and then Monday you have to present it. So it's like a constant cycle of that, right. and that really kind of throws you into the deep end. Mm. Um, sorry, so I kind of jumped forward. So I I, I applied for that, and it was essentially to uh, discover within myself if I had the ability to. Um, tell stories within a visual medium and uh, I really really enjoyed the entire process and like I kind of fell in love with it Um, and kind of always had an admiration for it, but you know, I kind of discovered the depth of that when when the course was happening. I was like, for the first time in my life, I was the first one in the class asking all that that annoying person <laughs> asking all miss, the questions. Miss? Miss, yes. miss. Yeah. Um and then the last one to leave, and just constantly just emailing my professors and just asking people and just talking to everyone, and then watching a ton of YouTube videos, reading books, everything I could possibly do. I was like a sponge, nerd, um, a total sponge nerd. Or a nerd, total nerd, you know. <laughs> yeah. And academically, I've always been kind of rebellious, like. I I'm in mean, any class. Me, Jana, shit yeah. like that. But you know, um, it was funny because I saw this new side uh, that was that was encouraged by how joyous the material made me feel. Like it just never felt like work. You know, mm. it just felt like this is exactly what I should have been doing. Right. And the only regret that I felt at that time was, the hell didn't I do this earlier? Really? Yeah. Damn. So um, and you know, like growing up, it kind of made me realize. Um, how limited our curriculums are with respect to people who want to explore art, or uh, the arts, rather. Mm -hmm. Um, There was nothing close to a film program in any of the schools that I went to uh, growing up in Lahore. Uh, There were, in fact, really sort of uh, basic art programs, no music programs, um, and so on and so forth. So. Uh, everything like even the theater and stuff that I did was all like extracurricular. It was never like okay, you're going to get credits for all the work you're putting in after school to to learn all these new skills, right? Um, whether that's direction or acting or screenwriting or playwright playwriting, yeah, whatever. Um, so, it. I mean, that was the only thing that I kind of regretted. Uh, I, I kind of realized that the that the reward I was feeling from learning this new skill was unlike anything I've ever experienced before. Mm. And I think that really kind of culminated in a good final project in my final film, uh, which I'm now trying to send into festivals. I I wanted to hold off because I was unsure what the COVID situation was, but um, I don't think I can wait an extra year. So now I'm going to be sending it out to festivals and I've shared it to like uh, a small community of uh, filmmakers and um, people that I know and whose feedback I appreciate. And generally, the the response has been very, very positive. Uh, I have imposter syndrome, so there's no way I'm going to give myself full credit. Um, But yeah, how if it's an eight-week program, that is very strenuous. strenuous. How bad was the first film you made compared to the thing, the product at the end? Well, I'm, I'm never going to show it, so (laughs) you'll never know. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It was, it it was very, very basic in the sense that the first film you do is uh, supposed to be. It's like the first film was like he wakes up. Turns off his alarm clock, goes and looks at himself, and that's every student film, right? Yeah, unfortunately, mine also has that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but I did it in my bit. defense. <laughs> it was a student film, whatever. Yeah. Um, there's Nothing. no al- there's no alarm clock though. There okay. is a, there is a nightmare sequence. Okay. okay. So yeah, that's and better. that's that's crucial to the story. So yeah. you know, I mean, come on. I think the first student film I made had something similar like that. Yeah, actually. I realized soon after when I finished it. Like, just don't start your films with people waking up. <laughs> just don't yeah. do it. Everybody fucking does that. Yeah. Oops, can I curse? Yeah, sure. I can curse. Yeah, I've been holding back. I mean, back. C- uh, this, these guys might not give me any money in the these future. These guys? <laughs> yeah, these guys. My frame koi sponsorship nahi except for maybe Road. Yeah. Um, road. So uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, so now basically the 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 thing that I'm looking at mostly is developing original stories coming out of Pakistan, telling the sort of stories that. Uh, don't generally get uh, any kind of traction in our mainstream media or even sort of web media or you know uh, the, the sort of authentic Pakistani experience the lived experience of, of all of us essentially growing up in this country in the city and then what that means and what the experiences are and what uh, the limitations are but also what the Opportunities are, I suppose. Um, what do you? Sorry to interrupt, but what do you think that is? The lived when whenever people use those that phrase, the lived Pakistani experience that we all have. I'm just like, I don't know what that means because I my well, exactly, experience that's, is that's, so that's, vastly different to what someone else's experience yeah, would be. Yeah, that's exactly what I want to talk about. Right, the fact that you don't know means that these are things that are not being talked about. You may have a personal experience that's limited to your friend circle or the time you've spent here. So is mine, of course, on a, on a purely subjective level. But when you start talking to people about their stories, and I'm talking about stories across the intersection of classes, everybody has a specific experience according to their circumstance mm-hmm. growing up here. And, you know, um, adulting or whatever you want to call it. Um, and And those are very sort of small stories in a way, but they have a lot of heart. And, and that's kind of where I think the strength of... Um, that's that's where at least where my interest is, sort of low-concept films that talk about people's struggles and their experiences growing up in Pakistan. Right. And isn't it fascinating? Wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you want to hear about, to. you know, the different kinds of people? I mean, I've generally... I've been working in music professionally for 10 years, and there's so many stories to tell right there. Mm. Um, uh, I, You know, so many of my friends have been working in... Corporate offices, for example, um, somebody who's from uh, more of a middle-class background might have uh, a very specific experience going to a certain kind of school, uh, whether they're uh, girls or boys, or you know they're some kind of minority or any kind of um, marginalized uh, narrative. I think that's kind of where the the strength of our uh, experiences lies, mm. and th- the strength of that storytelling lies. Yeah. I mean, it's always weird when because uh, you you talk about authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. And usually, when people tell someone else's story, it just comes across as like horribly fake. Mm-hmm. At least this is what sometimes it seems to me. Like when you can tell, maybe they haven't done their research, because I don't I don't believe that you can only tell your own story. You can Agree. obviously. Empathize with someone else and tell their story, or yeah. tell tell another kind of story. But well, I it's mean, like when you see village life on, in dramas. Yeah, you, you it see, becomes you, a parody you draw, of itself. You draw um, material for your scripts from memory, from fact, from research, and and all of those things combined. And if they're done right, can really make for a for a strong story and for strong characters. So. And that's, that's really what it's about. It's about the pathos of, I want to say the pathos of the Pakistani (laughs) experience, you know, that's like a good tagline for it. Um, But that's, that's exactly it. Like I have a very limited personal experience, but I do have a perspective, Mm. right? And if I'm writing a script, it's very hard to remove yourself. In fact, you should do the opposite. You should put your own heart in it. But to do that authentically means then you need to do your research you need to talk to the right people. Yeah. Um, you have to put the and work. See what in. their lives Yeah, you have to put the work. Yeah. In. Absolutely. Cuz what you think it might be like your immediate kind of impression is not always yeah, the, yeah. the actual and, thing. Yeah. And and you can play off of that, you know, you can play off of the idea that perspectives change and impressions are different from the other side and the grass is greener and so on. And and that can be a very strong um, uh, story core. But uh, at the end of the day, I think it's important to show the different sides and the different experiences that we have. Mm. So your interest in filmmaking really was sparked by this eight-week course. I think it was sparked um, by trying to figure out what the hell I wanted to do with my life. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think it was uh, pushed forward dramatically by that course. Because it gave me the confidence. It gave me... me the, the, the yes that I needed. I can do this. This is something that I can be good at. What did filmmaking give you that music wasn't able to? Um, music is far more abstract in, in the way that it conveys uh, a story. Um, it's, it's more immediate in terms of an emotion, I think. Um, whereas film is a visual medium and it's, it's primarily uh, you, your main form of input is that, that visual stimuli. And from that, you wean the emotional uh, core of it. So I think it kind of, it, it doubles upon it. It's sort of the, 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 the most emotional and, and most sort of immediate form really? uh, of storytelling. Yeah. You what, watch something music, and you immediately musical? have some... No, That's film. so weird because film. music is what I would I would say the opposite. Really? Music is something that you listen to and you can't express why you feel a certain way about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you could say the same about f- uh, film. Mm-hmm. But film has certain like... I guess this is me coming from... Because I have a history of yeah. like, filmmaking. So you I have see a music as some yeah. like, wow, mysterious, kind of, I don't know how it's made, so it's kind of magic to me. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. But it's demystified for me entirely, right? right? right, right. And also from a personal perspective, uh, a lot of times music is also far more divisive in that, uh, you know, genre-specific tastes can say, okay, well, this speaks to me, but this doesn't, you know. Um, whereas I think a story will inevitably have some kind of emotional impact on you whether you agree with it you disagree with it whether you like it or you dislike it it's going to uh turn you emotionally Mm. there's just no way to avoid that Mm -hmm. unless the film is so bad that you kind of pop out of that that world and you're like on your phone or something Mm -hmm. uh that notwithstanding if you're actually watching the film and you're engrossed there's no way that you won't feel something for it right um whereas with music you can tune it out it's a it's a it feels to me like um the auditory senses uh, operate on a more subliminal level, whereas the visual sense operates on a much more immediate, much more visceral right. and and um, unignorable level. <coughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I agree with that. But the the something that I really enjoy about filmmaking and that also very much frustrates me yeah. is that it's a team project. You can't really make... I mean, you can make a film on your own, but it's very... Part of the joy of making yeah. it is that you work with other people, you work with actors, you work with sound guys, cinematographers, whatever. But it's also incredibly frustrating because the great thing about just writing is that it's just you. Mm-hmm. You don't need... You just need a pen and paper, that's it. Whereas mm-hmm. with filmmaking, there is this barrier of entry that you need a camera, you need this and sound and editing yeah. systems and all this mm-hmm. and this big mm-hmm. team around it. Yeah. So what was that Many I'm more with, moving parts. Many more moving parts, which huh. is joyous and also awful sometimes so what was your experience with that? Well you know I mean like uh, in a sense everything that I've done so far has culminated in in me working in film now and if I look back at the idea of collaboration I've always really enjoyed it. Um, I've made a lot of music with a lot of different kind of people excuse me and um, I think the process of allowing people to add to your work um and make it something bigger than what you as one person can make is magical to me of course there are caveats within that but um i've made music solo i've made music with friends and people that i want to collaborate with and i've always found the latter to be far more rewarding and to be far more um stimulating um there there is a sort of uh, um well, how would I put it? There is a sort of level of control that one enjoys when it's just you and your music making yeah machine or whatever that's like pure creativity uh, in some that sense. that can be in a way yes it's purely yourself if you're able to channel and uh have sort of an unfiltered connection to your instrument or your laptop or whatever you're using to make music that is phenomenal um and it there's something very um uh tribal about it for lack of a better word i think mm-hmm. something very what's a better word for it that's Any a very problematic phrase <laughs> <laughs> okay you, you're gonna have to edit that then. i got you i got you <laughs> is it why why is tribal problem I'm, I'm totally getting it's not i was thinking isn't? about it <laughs> <laughs> um, there's something very what's another word for uh fuck it i've forgotten um like in you mean like the, at the base level yes exactly there's a word for it come on it's like on the tip yeah, of my tongue yeah. <laughs> yeah. anyway the point is that there's something very immediate about like if you're playing the drums that and you're at a certain level of skill you're able to to think on the fly if you're playing the guitar if you're playing the keyboard you're kind of able to connect with your instrument in a way that's Instinctive? immediately. no it's no, not the word yeah no because it's <laughs> learned in a way right um, mm. but it's 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 like conversation you're you're kind of letting your thoughts flow into the instrument and and it's kind of giving you feedback and you there's that interaction right um with film obviously it's much slower because you have several moving parts and many things many factors depend on um how the or the final product depends on the many factors that are involved um i've completely lost my train of thought (laughs) it's all right i think we got hung up on which word it was yeah that (laughs) really derailed me but okay so um just the idea that you know collaboration for me i think there's something very magical about it Mm. um you do lose you do kind of relinquish control entirely um okay not entirely sorry let me just rephrase that you 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 delegate or you relinquish some part of that control and you allow people to do the best that they can in terms of their contribution and some, somehow, some way, if you've made the right decisions as, as sort of the director of that project, um, you will come out with something that even is beyond your own imagination. And that is really sort of, I, I believe that's, that's the most rewarding it can be. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about True Brew. Why? <laughs> you, don't, you don't like talking about it anymore? No, sure, I, I can talk about it. The reason is because, I mean, this is a music adjacent podcast so okay, okay and it seems like that was a pretty big thing um, i feel so far away you know that's yeah how long how long was it running as a st- as a gig space and as a studio well it was really it really evolved from my initial idea for what it ought to be and uh, i think uh, you know when you're starting out things seem a certain way but you soon kind of figure well that might not actually be the case um, and so initially, when I set up the studio, I thought it would be a record label, mm-hmm. hence the name Chubu Records. Chuba Records. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, around the time that I started, I actually started uh, in two thousand and nine, but officially kicked it off in twenty ten. Um, what ended up happening was that around two thousand and nine, or actually a little earlier than that, the the gig scene started dying out. Um, and TV channels that were supporting music started shutting down. So it was a real time of change, I suppose. Um, the only real sort of beacon commercially was Coke Studio that had started in 2008. And that obviously had um, mixed reviews from musicians because some of them felt uh, excluded and so you know were fairly like negative about it. Some were more positive. Um, and I think kind of looking at it holistically just gonna throw one Coke Studio comment in there. <laughs> I don't think it really benefited the the music industry. It's not an industry. The music scene, as such, uh-huh. I don't think Keep it going. really. I don't think it really did what it was what it could have done, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that was sort of an injustice where uh, the kind of support it could have given to a larger. Scene, uh, it could have been uh, the bastion of music for Pakistan uh, had they had a larger vision for it, but that was never their intention, so you can't really fault them on not kind of having that intention. Mm-hmm. That's purely a subjective thing on the creator's part. Um, having said that, uh, I wanted to support local music, I wanted to support an alternative idea of music in Pakistan and uh, not that I didn't like what was happening commercially some of it was good but I really felt there was more space uh, for us to occupy outside of pop rock which is sort of becoming you know a fusion staple oh. or fusion exactly <clears throat> um, there, there's a very even that fusion stuff is very sort of specific in, a, in its um, in its palette sonically Uh, So even though I kind of started as, uh, um, I would say, an indie rock producer, um, I sort of personally evolved in terms of the music that I was listening to and started getting more and more into electronic music and more and more into urban music, and uh, different influences kind of started playing out. And so my selection for the people that uh, I was supporting started changing over the years as well. And uh, I think some people felt that we were too... Indie, but I guess that was the point, right? And indie sort of has become a stigma. You know, it's funny because everything is cyclical. Um, when I was growing up in the 90s, uh, we had a plethora of rock bands that were playing covers of Pink Floyd uh, all the way up to like, you know, 60s, 70s classic rock all the way up to uh, Nirvana Pearl Jam and contemporary rock. Um, and that was kind of the, the sort of Lahore underground scene, right? That underground scene actually was where all of your stalwarts from the industry came. That's when the, when the music channels came in. They said, okay, we're going to pick up all these underground artists who are now writing original material and put them in the limelight. And so this idea of the uh, culture and counterculture being cyclical kind of played out in front of my eyes. As and this, in, As in counterculture, people got picked up into the mainstream. Into the mainstream, absolutely. Um, and... I think now is sort of the time when um, that sort of the counterculture of what is now called indie is coming into the mainstream but it's it's not necessarily indie rock it's more this sort of EDM and urban sounds mm-hmm. uh, people like Manu and Abdullah Siddiqui for example they're sort of the the torchbearers of uh, of that sound but this is technically still underground right still indie or whatever But within the next several years, I think you'll see more of this coming into the mainstream. And it already has. It already is. Sorry. Um, But you'll see it become more of the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Um, I have totally diagnosed. Yeah, back to (laughs) True Brew Era. So the initial idea was to record and release music digitally and figure out ways to... uh, develop income streams that could help support the studio and also the artists. Um, that became more and more difficult because gigs started shutting down. security situation wasn't such that that was a possibility anymore. And so it, I kind of had to take a decision either to keep the studio running or to shut it down. And if, if I had to do um, the former, then I'd have to switch my main source of income. So instead of recording bands and asking them to pay for the services of the studio and my production services, I started going into, uh, the commercial side. So working on primarily uh, commercials and, uh, as many films and documentaries as I could get, which are obviously more creatively interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I started using that capital that I was generating to fund the projects that I wanted. And that was a really slow climb. Um, Digital had just started coming out and uh, DVCs weren't exactly a thing yet. They were just sort of coming up. And we're talking about 2014, 2015 now. So how did that commercial affect you? Did you do you hate that work or do you oh, still I like it? Oh, I detested it? it. I absolutely, even to this day, I think it's probably one of the major contributing factors to turning me off of music entirely. Really? Yeah. Um, just the kind of sheer regurgitative... And uh, yeah, Bernardo, backward-looking uh-huh. uh, vision, uh, lack of vision rather, that the the people in charge have that make commercials regarding music specifically. I'm not going to take any. Uh, I'm not going to take any jabs at the rest of their work, but whoever's in charge doesn't really consider music to be something can be that can be in and of itself inspiring to the piece of film or, or video. It always feels like oh you know that guy did this thing in that ad and it was a big success can you do the same thing follow this trend and we'll do fine and that uh, also seems to be the general sort of malaise that uh, our creatives have it's generally backwards looking and coke studio is the same uh, or pepsi battle of the bands is the same it's looking back at what past successes we've had and trying to capitalize on those instead of investing on a larger longer term vision in which uh, the new and the exciting can actually uh, be that for the audience as well, new and exciting. So that kind of regurgitative thing really was just like, okay, just check the boxes, do what they want and get it over and done with, take the money and run essentially. but what, what brought me joy was then working on the projects that I liked and one of which was uh, trying to better the space in terms of its acoustics, um, try and build a better social media presence, try and build a team, try and build uh, a, more of a vibe that was supportive and gave artists more opportunities. Uh, so essentially, I was just channeling that all that money back into uh, my passion projects. Um, and... So Live at True Brew came out of that. It started in 2012. And it uh, was actually originally the brainchild of one Ravel Sattar, the was the drummer for uh, Borage Boy. Achoo. He set up a small gig space at the guitar school with Hamza Jafri. And it was smaller than my room and just like... Just the fact that it, it was possible, like immediately kind of struck me as, you know, wait, I have all of this space, what am I doing? So I approached him, I approached Ravir and I said, listen, can we set this up at my place as well? And he said, yes. And um, he helped me kind of get the stools, uh, set up some lights, um, kind of do up the space as best as we could within whatever limited means we had. And then we just kind of started from there. So a lot of credit to him for, for you know, being generous with this idea and helping me put it together. Um, and then we just kind of ran with it. And as, as we started doing it, it was really amazing because um, these bands from, uh, like we, ha- we featured a Cuban band. We featured a jazz drummer from, from uh, Holland. We featured a bunch of musicians, music acts. We had a, 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 a big band, a brass band from New Orleans. Um, these started, the embassies started kind of sending us their acts, you know, any kind of exchange, uh, cultural exchange acts that they had. And so it became kind of a vibrant, really interesting space where we had all of these new bands coming out f- from out of the country, and then also our local independent scene. And from there it just grew and grew and kind of became its own thing. Um, and then I, I, I had the idea that we should be recording this stuff and putting it online. And unfortunately, When we did our first string of concerts the youtube ban kicked in in 2012 (laughs) right on cue right on (laughs) cue like we were literally just about to release on the eve of it and uh, so i had to kind of put that stuff on vimeo for a while vimeo just didn't really have the kind of traction that youtube did so for that four five year period we didn't really do any recordings we just did the the gigs and then when youtube started opening up then we resumed and i realized okay well video is really picking up Facebook wanted to jump into doing video as well, and it was kind of really becoming the, the sort of uh, prime medium online. And so there was an idea to develop all of these as live concerts and put that on a, a dedicated channel. And that channel became Trubu TV. And Trubu TV's sort of larger vision was to become sort of an online music magazine uh, with interviews, with. Uh, uh, small sort of uh, insights into the into every artist's process, into um, kind of doing profiles, doing uh, live concerts, and their videos, and you know just generally kind of expanding on the, on the world that that I was working in. And uh, I think that's kind of like I I by the end of like 2018, I was just done with everything yeah. that I wanted to do with it. Why? As in you, you you talked about the brick wall before, what was the brick wall? was it all of these things just hitting at the same time uh, I, I just felt like th- there was ne- no other way to grow from that point onwards. Um, I kind of saw myself perpetuating this cycle on a personal level where I was like unhappy doing all these shitty commercials, uh trying to find i trying to use that to funnel the money into the things that I found joy in. But even those things started being less and less rewarding because I was so generally unhappy. <laughs> so <laughs> that kind of catches up to you, you know, uh-huh. it does. And, um, also it's such a thankless job, dude. Like I really think back to all the people that I helped and, um, no, no, nothing, nothing, nothing. No letters of thanks, no... Not that I want any, but um, I think there should... I don't really know how to, how to like... Uh, th- there's no way for me to put, okay, this is what I want in return. This yeah. is the kind of thanks I want. There's sure. nothing specific. But I just feel like it was... It felt to me that it became uh, uh, a sort of being taken for granted in a way. Mm. Okay, okay Trouble's always going to be there. Trouble's always going to support... If we ever need anything, we can go to True Brew. It's fine. It's all happening. And that was great for a while, but after a while, I was like, okay, fuck off. Right, right. Both of you. Yeah, yeah. Because I was also ignoring a lot of the things that I wanted to do. Like, I wasn't doing any of my own music. Mm. I was purely kind of functioning as this foundation for everyone else to build their careers off of. Right, right. After a while, it just becomes. That can be tiring after a while. It was exhausting. It was exhausting. And also um it was financially just impossible to uphold because i wasn't i wasn't planning to continue doing commercials so where was i going to get the money to continue supporting all of that and so it's just i was done (laughs) and i don't don't make me go into specifics no no i won't i won't uh, i just the appas that i've had to face from various musicians give me one i will not no give me one no this is public (laughs) record you know you don't have to mention any names I did think we, like sh- we, should, we should do a whole <laughs> other segment on this right? <laughs> 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 there must <laughs> be one good story there's many hey, oh, show, give me the best one Mm-mm. come on bro I don't want to fan any flames I've already left those people behind and yeah. I'm kind of done with that chapter that's a good way to leave it I guess yeah they can go fuck themselves <laughs> 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 yeah okay then give me one uh, before we leave the tribute topic yeah because I've always I always see it very fondly as a gig space where yeah. I tried to go to, a- whenever Trubu had a gig, I was always like, gotta be there. Yeah. In- and and in- that though. was, that was a great source of fuel for the people that attended. I think it brought me a lot of joy to see people engaging with the music. That mm-hmm. was, that was really special. Yeah. Yeah. And singers there's not much to do in this place, Fuck in this all. town, <laughs> yeah, it was always something that I was like, well, we have to go there. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for coming. Yeah. Well, you're welcome but what was is that the most positive aspect of, of the whole thing if you can look at it holistically as a as a endeavor mm-hmm. what was one thing that you pick out and be like you know what that's what i'm really i that's something i take away from it as being really positive oh no i have a lot of pride for the things that we accomplished i think um i think true brew's major contribution was to encourage uh alternate forms of music and whether people acknowledge that or not uh That was a significant contribution that no one else has been able to match, dare I say. Um, Sorry, I just want to interrupt you because one thing I really liked about Chubu was A, the sound was great, but also you gave bands like two days of rehearsal beforehand. I did, yes. Is that, that's not standard, it seems to me. No, that's not standard at all. Um, I did it because mainly I like to curate a show it's it's important for me to know what the material is right so i would set up uh on a thursday with them and then we'd rehearse that evening and i'd get to understand the material and then we would do a second rehearsal on the day because if a band bombs it looks bad for you yes of course (laughs) course. because that quality was really important to me and that was true even for my studio productions i wanted the quality to be of a of a global standard and um and that's why also the sort of the, the acoustics of the space were really important because i wanted the sound to be tight and and clear and clean um, so uh, it was crucial for me to have that experience for people attending uh, because that would then bring the right A, the right kind of people and then the right kind of vibe to the, to the show itself and, and that was I think palpable when you kind of attended the show the, the audience's enthusiasm was really what kept me going through a lot of those years and I look back at that really fondly Uh, But I also like, you know, so many of my collaborations with uh, many musicians, many friends, uh, those are very, very good times, very fond times. I still look back on them and think, well, yeah, that was magical. And, you know, we made this song or we made that song. And, you know, I I can still go back and listen to it and be like, this is like an unparalleled experience so far in my life. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think that I I definitely hold very fond memories for it. but i do i do think that um, i do think that were it not for Truebrew, we would be we w- we would have been robbed of a lot of the kind of music that we now see coming mm-hmm. i think um, i need to give myself the credit and kind of put my imposter syndrome mm-hmm. to the side and say okay well you know every action that's positive has uh, a snowball effect You know, we did two um, independent music festivals, uh, Storm and a Teacup. Yes, yes. I didn't go to that. I always feel heavy for Were you in town? I was not here. No, you weren't here. And um, they were very successful. Even, like, to me, I still marvel at how well they turned out. The second one, unfortunately, got rained out for the last two bands. But um, the first one was, like, the weather was perfect and everything was great. We had some technical hitches, but nobody seemed to care. And, uh, you know... um, I, I can really say that despite the kind of um wanting to blow my brains out because of the stress of like literally putting those festivals up by myself mm. uh was worth it um uh, because of how they were received and how um powerful they were in making good memories for people. Yeah. Um but on the basis of that, um I got the best compliment ever. Uh, from the Lahore Music Meet team saying that if they hadn't seen Storm in a Teacup, they would never have uh, done Lahore Music Meet. No I way. I was just like floored because that's my favorite music that's event. That's the snowball ever. event. Yeah. yeah. And that is the snowball effect, right? Yeah, you you effect. see one thing and then it, you, it inspires you and then you move on to do something else which somebody else sees and then so on and so forth. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, I, I am, I'm very proud of having contributed what I contributed for yeah. that. Awesome. There's an interview with Frank Zappa I think where mm-hmm. he's talking about like the how the management at the top of the music uh, industry in America Yeah, yeah that's a great that's it. a great one yeah so initially he says that uh, before I don't know what time period this was I guess he's talking about the 60s, 60s 70s, 70s, 70s the record label era I the record era, label era with the big wigs at the top were like I don't know what these kids are doing. We don't understand their yeah. music at all. Get out of it. Yeah, <laughs> but they're into it. And I, there's this distance between yeah. what like, yeah. the boomers are listening to and what the people yeah. are listening to. Hmm. And so they were like, listen, we're just going to give the money to the people who seem to... To the artists themselves. Well, actually, they cast the net wide. That was the biggest... It's funny because Zappa says the dinosaurs did better than these millennials. Right. So that's uh, what I was going to say. All, so Let me know? just complete his thing yeah. cuz he said that now they have all these cool hipster people mm-hmm. in these big positions who think they who know like, Yeah, I know what the kids want. Like, yeah. "Hello, how do you yeah, do, fellow yeah, kids?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh but <laughs> because they think they know what people want, they actually end up being more regressive because yes, they're exactly. like, "Actually, the kids exactly. want this thing that exactly. I I thought." You're you're force-feeding them essentially. Yeah. you there's no there's no way that you can possibly predict how taste will change. But what you can do is you can ride the wave. Right. Instead of like restraining it and holding it back and saying, successful uh. that's bullshit, frankly. Uh, but what the record labels did, which was interesting, was they cast an the end wide. They didn't know what was going to be a success. But one success would pay for all of it, for all of the rest right, of right, their, exactly. their experiments. And frankly, um, all of these shows could easily follow that model mm. if they were to diversify. But I don't think they understand the meaning of diversification. Even when they say, okay, we're gonna get new producers, they're all kind of making the same music. Mm-hmm. So that's not diversification. Right. Um, and really, I think uh, tastes are built upon risk. They are built when people say, okay, you know what, that stuff on the fringe the counterculture this is going to be big in 10 years let's be the first ones to pick that out and ride it instead of saying oh, oh oh we are risk averse we're never going to throw money at something that we don't understand and therefore just keep doing the same thing over and over for the next 12 years and hope that people enjoy it well there's a diminishing return there as we've seen with coke studio yeah so mm-hmm. so we just need to tweak. find someone to ride the, ride the wave well, you know, I mean, here's the thing, it's also so cliquish. Um, there's a lot of corruption, there's a lot of sort of industry, uh, what, what, what would you want to call it? Um, uh, self, it's self-serving, essentially. They only want to pick the people that uh, will help them make either money or prestige or whatever. And so it ends up kind of being the same people over and over again. And that's not to the fault of the producers the music producers themselves i think this is more of a corporate situation Mm -hmm. where the agencies and the corporates are concerned there seems to be much more of like okay this guy's my friend let's bring him in right and sometimes that doesn't work Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. there you go this is not about merit yeah yeah Yeah. if it was about merit we would be far far ahead of where we are now Mm -hmm. uh well that's true I want to talk about your uh, generation ad because I don't know why. Here's the thing like, I watched it, and in my obviously, whenever I watch an ad, it's just my nature that I hate it. I hate it. (laughs) Same. Uh, My (laughs) default position is what to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, especially when it's just like voiceovers and people saying, mm, "Yeah," and then passing the product. And uh-huh. like, oh, uh-huh. where's the story? Yeah, yeah. This is not a story, you know. Right. There's no sort of emotion here. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. So my general uh, default position is to be cynical about it. Mm-hmm. I watched uh, you, the ad that you did. And I was like, man, that's really nice. I just Thank really you. enjoyed it, and I re- uh, the music was great as well. Obviously, you're you. taking an old folk tune and then repurp like not like redoing it. Yeah. Um. What was it, that? Was the first big ad you directed as a filmmaker? As a director, yes. Mm-hmm. So it was my second big project in the sense that I'd already done a short film, mm-hmm. which was my final project at uh, the New York Film Academy. And but that's man not wakes been, up. Sorry, man wakes up. Woman turns off his alarm. <laughs> <laughs> no alarm. Yeah, woman wakes <laughs> up. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it was generally my sort of first um, big project uh, as a director. But Generation is a really cool team to work with. They I'm going to bleep out the brand name sure. every time you say it. Sure. <laughs> generation, Generation, Generation. Brand <laughs> um, they, they're a really cool brand to work with because they understand the idea that um, alternative narratives have more of an emotional resonance than this usual bullshit. Look at and you sucking up to the brand. <laughs> what do you mean? They let me do my thing, which is why really? I... Yeah, absolutely. They're, uh-huh. they're not the, they they are not. don't have an agency. Mm. Everything they do is in-house. So you, you, you're you working directly with the team. Um, the idea was sort of started in a certain place uh, by them. And then I was able to run with it with my team and kind of make something off, something new out of it. Um, and so it was really kind of synergetic and truly collaborative in that way, especially with the um art and uh, the uh, production design was concerned and they didn't interfere with how i wanted to shoot it they didn't interfere with how i wanted to edit it they didn't interfere with um the process they only kind of encouraged and helped sculpt it into to what it became and that kind of that that's the most healthy form of work uh, uh, or a process that i've ever done commercially in which there's faith in in all the parties. Okay, you're doing this. This is your project. You run with it, and you make the best you can. And then the kind of stuff that they come back with is, it's another level, you know, because they're not kind of providing a service. Everybody involved in that wanted to make it their own. Mm. And you can't ask for a better than that honestly like that's um, such a strange wo- phrase you use because i was speaking to ali recently i, w- I just on the phone for his new single that came out and he was like all the commercial projects i've done he, he enjoys doing them but he says he called himself well i'm just a service provider for that mm. right you just you're they're essentially contracting your service for that Indeed. for what they yeah. require yeah whereas yeah. that's not really what fulfills a creative person well Iman e. said the same thing recently he said uh, you know you have to have faith in your creatives if you've hired someone to do the job let them do their fucking job mm-hmm. instead of this bullshit about you're a business graduate mm. what the fuck do you know about composing a shot what mm-hmm. do you know about editing what do you know about music production what do you know about composition you may have taste Mm-hmm. You can say, okay, Business well, graduates out there. Yeah, losing no, their minds. It, it's the same thing. Like you're saying some hip, cool millennial <clears throat> running the show thinks he knows better, uh, does not, unfortunately. And I think that, that lack of faith um, kills creativity. Mm. So really, I think the best kind of projects that come up are ones in which creatives are allowed to flourish and do, yeah. do what they do best. Last question, because mm-hmm. we're almost at the end. Uh, what's next for you? What's next for Truebrew and what's next for you as a, as a creative person yourself? Well, Truebrew, I don't know what's next for Truebrew, to be no. honest. I really don't. Uh, I can't say anything. I don't know what's happening with um, uh, public gathering and events as such. So I can't say anything about that. I don't know how long I'll c- keep we'll do this Do a COVID space. test before every Truebrew game. <laughs> I don't know if I'm, if I'm really that bothered with that. So what I'm really working on right now is I'm developing screenplays for short films and a web series. And um, I'm looking for producers and financiers to uh, finance those projects. And I am looking to build a voice that wants to tell these Pakistani stories to an international audience. So essentially looking at world cinema. World cinema? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So not Pakistani cinema? Not Pakistani. Well, no, I'd show them here. But right. my, my main sort of thrust would be to um, set it up or set myself up as a director that makes world cinema. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Actually, last question because just because you said that you slipped that in at the end, mm-hmm. uh, I was having a conversation <laughs> with the deal we did on, a tr- on the transmissions, uh, where we were talking about the soft image of Pakistan uh-huh. and how uh, you know when people make stuff for and for a dif- the perspective is external. Yes. So you end up creating something that is for someone else's eyes rather than really? the eyes that you were essentially the story is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, thoughts well I mean the stories are very very core human stories so it's, it's not that there will be any kind of alienation or anything like that from within our local community and within the international audience I don't think that's really uh, like you're missing the point of the story if you feel like it's uh, if you're making something that's alienating uh, that core value So, of course, there is something to be said for the circumstance and the exact same exact situation, specific situation that your characters in your film might find themselves in. Um, But having said that, I think the story is universal because they are human stories. They are about human experiences. And uh, you have to I think it's important for Pakistan to talk about the real stories that uh, our people live through. And I think it's important to show the world what those real stories are in their authentic form as opposed to the soft image. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the soft image is is a lie. Pandering. It's pandering, yeah. So I don't want to pander, essentially. I would rather tell authentic stories of people's experiences here.